there are some songs, I'm sure they are different songs for each one of us, but really speak to our hearts. And the one that we just sung uh, kind of uh, speaks to mine. We certainly serve a great God. And we certainly have a wonderful shepherd. He is called the good shepherd. He is called the chief shepherd. He is the great shepherd of our souls, Jesus the Christ. And what a blessing it is that we are able to gather together in his name to offer our worship to our God and our Father in heaven. My Bible is open this morning to the passage that our brother Don read for us at the beginning of our assembly from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I would invite you to open your Bible there as we will be in that text here in just a moment. New things, I believe, have a way of bringing refreshment, of bringing excitement and bringing enjoyment to our otherwise routine lives. Whether it is, as we have been reminded today, as our brother Alan reminded us in his talk to us on Wednesday evening, whether it is a new day that we have to enjoy, whether it is a new child that has come into our family, whether it is a new marriage and that relationship is new and fresh, whether it is a new job that we have begun or a new adventure that we have undertaken in our life, there is just something, I believe, about new things that thrill our souls, that brighten our otherwise sometimes dreary lives. But of all the new things that life may bring, there is nothing better than new life. In Christ Jesus. Since two of our young ladies here recently, Lindsay and Grayson, have experienced what Scripture describes as the new birth, I believe it's a good time for them and it's a good time for all of us to think about the new life that is ours in Christ Jesus. Whether we have been a Christian for decades, we still have life and it is new every day in our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. As we think this morning about all things new, we want to consider three new things that this new life brings. And to help us to do that, we're going to use the passage again that has already been read for us this morning from the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, especially uh, verses uh, 14 through 17, and consider three new things that the Apostle Paul mentions here about new life in Jesus Christ. To use this passage as kind of a springboard, we're going to pull some other text in this morning to help us think about this thought of all things new. The first new thing that we all experience in Christ and we need to realize that we have if we are connected to Christ as a follower of His is that we have a new master. You know, before all of us came to Christ, we all had a master. The, the world, and I think Satan is, as he is described in Scripture, as being the father of lies, the one who is the great deceiver. He has done a masterful job of deceiving us as humanity into thinking that we, we can be our own master. We, we can be truly free to pursue any course that we want in life without having to answer to anybody, without there being any kinds of consequences to whatever choices we make in life. But we all realize, as the Bible tells us, that before we came to Christ, we all had a master, didn't we? Sin was our master. And what a horrible master sin was. 
While sin often promised us pleasure, what it delivered to us instead was pain. While sin often promised us freedom, that we could just do whatever we wanted to and just live totally free, what it delivered to us was slavery. We became enslaved. We were chained. We were under bondage. All of that kind of language, those kind of pictures are put into our minds as we read our New Testaments. But now in Jesus Christ, we have a new master. And unlike sin, Jesus is the perfect master, isn't he? He is a wonderful master. He promises us freedom from sin. He promises us if we will follow him for the rest of our days, that there will be spiritual pleasures forever. And guess what? He always delivers on the promises that he makes to us. As our former master sin ruled over us like a terrible tyrant, but as our current master Christ controls us like a loving leader. I want you to notice what the Apostle Paul has to say about that, that in Christ Jesus, all things are new, that we have a new master. He says to us there at verse 14, for the love of Christ controls us. It is the love of Christ, and I take it here in this text that Paul is speaking about the love that Christ has shown for us, not so much the love that we reciprocate or show to him, but the love that Christ has shown to us. Paul says that is what controls us. The New American Standard uses that word. Other versions may say the love of Christ constrains us or the love of Christ compels us. That The Greek word from which those English words are taken uh, really is the idea of holding or pressing together. Thayer's uh, says that in this text, this particular Greek word means to urge or to impel, uh, to, tr to try to urge someone to go in a, in, in a certain direction or to do a certain thing. And that's what the Apostle Paul is telling us here about the love of Christ, that it is the love of Christ that controls us. It is what compels us and constrains us. It is what holds us together, presses us closely to him so that we don't leave him. It is what urges us on to press on in the right way, in a way that pleases him. Christ's love for us, especially as he showed his love to us in his death and in his resurrection from the cross, it is what binds us to Christ it is what, as we go along as Christians, becomes the controlling force, if you will, in our lives. It is a force that both constrains us to stay away from those things that are harmful and hurtful to our soul, to stay away from sin. But Christ's love also compels us to do His will. And so Paul says to us here, all things are new in Christ. We have a new master, and it is Christ's love for us that compels us to be who he wants us to be. When we properly understand, when we properly appreciate Christ's love for us, I, will, I, will, I believe it will control everything about who we are. Number one, it will control our hearts. I want you to think about something that the Apostle Peter wrote, and he's writing this, of course, in the context of suffering for the cause of Christ to Christians in the first century who uh, were being persecuted for their faith in Christ. Notice what he writes here at 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning at verse 14. He says here, But even if you should suffer 
uh, for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to give a defense or an answer to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame." For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Paul, Peter is writing here again to Christians who were suffering for following Christ. And he says, if you live out here in this world, you're going to suffer persecution. You're going to be intimidated. You're going to be slandered just as Christ was. But I want you to notice, as he says here, even in that very distressful situation in our lives, that we need to make sure that we are sanctifying Christ. We are putting Christ in a place where he belongs, that Christ is our master. We're setting him apart in our hearts. We're pedestalizing him. And Christ certainly deserves to be on a pedestal. But we are sanctifying Christ as Lord in our hearts. And the connection that Peter makes there of Christ showing his love for us in verse 18, that Christ died for us. Even as Paul, I believe, is making that connection back in our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That when we truly understand and appreciate the love that Christ has shown for us, especially in his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection from the tomb, that his love will control our hearts. We will not have another master in our heart. Christ will be Lord. When we properly understand and appreciate Christ's love for us, we will understand that Christ's love will control our bodies and what we do with our bodies you remember probably what the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 as he gives us some instructions and reminders about even just using our physical bodies. At the very end of that passage, notice what he says beginning at verse 19 in 1 Corinthians 6. He asks a question here, which those brethren should have known the answer to and we should too today. He says, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit? That is, who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. For you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. When we become Christians, we are saying that we are no longer master over our own bodies. That we can't just use our bodies for whatever we want to use them for. That we need to control our bodies. That Christ needs to control how we use our bodies. And Paul is reminding these Christians Again, as we spoke of several weeks or a couple of months ago, back from verses 9 and 10, these were people who had, had used their bodies in all kinds of ways before they came to Christ. They had used their bodies to uh, commit adultery and fornication and homosexuality and used their bodies to steal and to, to do all kinds of, be involved in all kinds of sins that are against God's will. But Paul says, now you need to remember you have been bought with a price. As we have already remembered this morning in the Lord's Supper that the blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been shed for us to cleanse us from all sin and all unrighteousness. We are not our own masters. Christ is master. How would he have us as Christians to use our bodies? How would he have us to display our bodies to the world? We, we may look at it in the future at some point 
uh, some, just some lessons here from this passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 because I think they are so needed in the time in which we live just like they were in the time in which the Apostle Paul lived. Thirdly, as we, if we properly understand and appreciate Christ's love for us, it is just going to control our entire lives. The Apostle Paul, of course, made that very famous statement that we're all familiar with, I'm sure, in Galatians 2 and verse 20. But let's back up just a few verses to get a little bit more of the context here. As Paul really was going back to about verse 11 or so in this chapter, that Paul was rebuking his own brethren, Peter and and. Barnabas for being hypocrites and not accepting, fully accepting the Gentiles and trying to go back to kind of that old Jewish mindset. But he says here in verse 18, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Why why would Paul throw away everything that was once near and dear to his heart? Why why would he say, I'm no longer going to let the law of Moses rule my life. I'm no longer going to let myself rule my own life, that I have been crucified with Christ and I'm not living. I've moved out and Christ has moved in. Well, it's because of what he says here at the end of verse 20. The Son of God loved me and he gave himself up for me. It is the love that Christ had shown for Paul that controlled his entire life. And from now on, his entire life was different. He had a new master. And so, brothers and sisters, we need to realize that as Christians, not only to our two young sisters in the Lord now, but for all of us, we need to realize that as a Christian, sin is no longer my master. My life is new, and now Christ is master. The second new thing that new life in Christ brings, if you go back to our text that we're looking at this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, is that our life in Christ, we now have a new mission, a new reason for living. With a new master comes a new mission, and that new mission is to be more like the master. Notice what Paul says here back in 2 Corinthians 5 at verse 15. He goes on to say to us that he died for all so that Uh, They who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ's love in dying for us upon the cross of Calvary, Christ's love in being raised from the grave and overcoming death, it again ought to control us, it ought to constrain us, it ought to compel us to live for him who died for us. That Christ didn't go to the cross and die on the cross because he just thought that was a a thing to do. There was a purpose to it. And we should not just look at that and say, well, he died so that we could be forgiven of our sins. That is a part of it, of course, but that's just the beginning part. He died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for us. That is the, ought to be the motivating factor in how we view our lives and why we are here on earth. Well, what does our new mission look like in practical terms? We don't have time this morning, of course, to go through every passage we could go through in the New Testament, 
that would relate to answering that particular question, but let me just give you a few things for each of us to consider. Our mission is to love others as He loved us. Our mission is to walk in love according to the love that Christ showed for us as He laid down His life on the cross. The Apostle Paul speaks in these terms when you come to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. We, of course, remember in chapters 4, 5, and 6 that Paul is getting to the more practical matters of this book. What, what does this look like? The principles that he has laid forth or set down as a foundation for us in Ephesians 1 through 3. Now chapters 4 through 6, what's the so what of that for me every day? And he uses this word walk, walk, walk. Walk in a manner worthy of the way in which you have been called. Don't walk like the Gentiles. Walk in love. Walk according to wisdom. This is our daily life. So he says to us here, our mission is to love others as Christ has loved us. Ephesians 5 verse 1, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave, your, gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. That means that we as followers of Christ, because we are following our master, we want to look like our master in every respect, but in this sense of love, that means that we must genuinely love the lost. We were discussing a little bit in, in uh, the adult classroom uh, in the back this morning, uh, just about, uh, how, we're kind of talking about how we interact with the world in that class, and, and how we are to uh, view the world. But one thing we need to remember is the world is lost and that the world needs us. God is counting on us as his children, as followers of his son to get the good news message out to show those people that they are lost in sin, but to show them also the remedy for their situation, the solution to their problem, that Jesus Christ and him crucified and him risen from the dead is exactly what they need. This means showing genuine love to our family. If we have a family member that may have gone astray, may have left the Lord, has not come to the Lord yet, we, we need to show love, proper love that Christ showed for us, this sacrificial serving kind of love that Paul mentions here in verse 2 that Jesus showed on the cross for each one of us. We need to show that to our family. We need to genuinely love our neighbors, even you remember what Jesus said back in the Sermon on the Mount toward the end of Matthew chapter 5? This kind of love even means that we love our enemies. That is a deep love, brothers and sisters. That is a difficult love. But yet if Christ truly is our master, we need to remember this is our mission now. That we can't go hating people. We can hate their sin. We can hate their choices that are opposed to God but we need to love their souls. We need to even love our enemies as Jesus even loved his. Our mission now as having new life in Christ is to be on guard for error while at the same time growing in Christ. You might remember uh, this passage is where at least my work started with you uh, several months ago as we looked at that sermon uh, back in early January about beware but grow. But Peter uh, says these words again, just to refresh our memories in verse 17 of 2 Peter 3. He says, You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men and fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
that this is our mission in life, that we need to be looking for faults. We need to be looking for that which is false and that which is, can lead us away from the truth, lead us astray. In our own lives, we need to be looking out for that in the lives of our brothers and sisters. We need to be standing for what is right and not being carried away by some false teaching, while at the same time, we need to make sure that we are growing. We're making progress. We're moving forward in Jesus Christ, that we're growing up in Him. Our mission with this new life in Christ also is to possess and grow the fruit of the Spirit within our lives. We remember what the Apostle Paul said back in Galatians rather, chapter 5, the works of the flesh or the fruit of the Spirit. We're to put off the works of the flesh that we want to do so many times, but we're also to cultivate, to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Our new mission is to be be growing in all of these characteristics. And this, I don't believe, is an exhaustive list that the Apostle Paul gives us here of the fruit of the Spirit. You can read through the Bible, read through the New Testament, and you can find other spiritual fruit that we are to be bearing in our lives as we follow Jesus Christ. But certainly, what he says here in this text is of importance to us. And then finally, at least as, we're consider, as we are concerned with this morning, our mission is to be God's holy people in a very unholy world. Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote to the young or the preacher Titus in Titus chapter 2, beginning at verse 11. He says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. These instructions that Paul is giving to Titus, that Titus then is to turn around and teach God's people here on the island of Crete, that they're not given in a vacuum. That <laughs> They are connected. Paul makes a connection as we're trying to make this morning to what Jesus has already done for us, that Jesus showed his love the depth of his love, the measure of his love for us, that he would even die for us to redeem us from every lawless deed to change us. That we no longer serve sin. Sin is no longer our master. But now Christ is our master. And he did that for a specific purpose, the end of verse 14, to purify for himself a people for his own possession, people who are zealous for good works. It is very difficult for us as Christians to live like holy people in the way that we talk as we live in an unholy world, in the way that we dress, in the way that we carry ourselves, in the attitudes that we display toward other people, in just all kinds of ways. But this is our mission, and we need to remember that. Because we have new life in Christ, because He is our master, this is to be our mission. So many people that live around us, and really all of us, I think, as human beings, we're looking for purpose in life, aren't we? We're looking for some reason to exist. Even those who would 
say that they are atheists, that don't believe that there is a creator, that don't believe that there's anything after this life here on earth. They're, they're looking for some purpose. They are craving meaning and direction in their lives. And we find that given to us perfectly in the word of God. That as our new master Christ gives us our new mission and he says, this is what you need to devote the rest of your life to doing. We need to examine ourselves from time to time and make sure that we are completing the mission that our master has given to us. And so as a child of God, as a Christian, my mission is to no longer live for myself. It is to no longer live like the world lives, but it is to live fully and completely for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then thirdly and finally this morning, going back once again to our text in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, new life in Christ means that there is going to be a new me. With a new master and a new mission, we are, as Paul says here in verse 17 of our text, we are a new creature or a new creation in Christ. In other words, in Christ, you and I have become a new me. Not that we have changed on the outside. Our, our two sisters that were recently buried with Christ in the waters of baptism came up out of those waters and they looked like the same person on the outside. But inwardly, there is that change that has begun in them. And it's so it should be for all of us that we are a new person in Christ. And not surprisingly, the new me begins in my mind. Notice what Paul wrote here in this text in 2 Corinthians 5 at verse 16. Here is some conclusion to what he has just said about Christ's love as he showed it to us at the cross. He says, therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet we know him in this way no longer. As a new creation, I believe Paul is telling us here that our perspective on everything in life has changed. And that was true for Paul himself, wasn't it? Where once, even as Paul stated here in this verse, in verse 16, that he and others knew Christ according to the flesh, perhaps Paul at once being uh, one who was opposed to Christianity in the way, once he may have looked at Jesus Christ, even though he, he vehemently disagreed with Christ claiming to be the Messiah and the things that Christ taught, perhaps he looked at him as just being a, a good Jewish teacher or a historical figure or something along those lines. He says, now I, Paul, knew Christ or know Christ according to the Spirit. Now he knows Christ in a different way. Now he knows Christ very personally, very intimately as his Lord, as his Savior, as his Master that has given him a new mission for his life. So it must be with you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ. Whereas we once viewed people and things and goals and yes, even life itself through the lens of the flesh, we, we were just looking from a, a very humanly earthly perspective at everything in life. Now as a new creation in Christ, we must view all things through the lens of the Spirit. Yes, we must view everything through the lens of the cross. I want you to think about something that Paul wrote at the very end of his book to the churches of Galatia. In Galatians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12, he says, there are some who are still viewing 
their religion, if you will, through fleshly eyes. Verse 12, he says, those who desire to make a good showing in the flesh try to compel you to be circumcised so that they will not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For those who are circumcised do not even keep the law themselves, but they desire to have you circumcised so that they may boast in your flesh. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world for there is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, listen, but a new creation. Paul says, I, I, I had to change. And all of you, brethren, who are now in Christ, you have to change. You, you have to become a new person. You can no longer be concerned about fleshly matters. You need to be concerned about viewing things through the lens of the Spirit viewing things through the lens of the cross of Jesus Christ. How often do we, as we think about the instructions that Paul writes to us here in Galatians chapter 6, how often do we boast, but our boasting is not in the cross of Christ. Our boasting is in whatever political party we are affiliated with or not affiliated with. Our, our boasting may be in our favorite sports team. Our boasting may be in our, in, in our physical body. That maybe we think we're, we are in great shape. Well, whatever it is, things that are fleshly, things that are earthly, that our boast is in that. Even just the, how, how we present ourselves online on social media. If we're all the time putting up selfies and we're just trying to boast in ourselves, or we're putting up pictures of ourselves in perhaps uh, clothing that only our spouse should see us in for the world to see. That, that is drawing attention to ourselves. We are boasting in ourselves rather than boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul says to us here in verse 14 that through the cross of Christ and viewing life that way, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Circumcision or uncircumcision doesn't mean anything as far as our salvation and standing before God is concerned. What means something to Him and ought to mean something to us is being a new creation. It's being a new me. What we once consider valuable and worth our time, our energy, our effort, our money to pursue in this life, we now consider worthless so that we may truly know Christ. The Apostle Paul, again, is the great example of this as he spoke of his former life and the great transition that had, been, had come into his life because of what Christ had done for him. In Philippians chapter 3, picking up his thought there at verse 3, he says, For we are the true circumcision who worship in the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put, to conf put no confidence in the flesh, although I myself might have confidence even in the flesh. If anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more circumcise the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to the righteousness which is in the law, found blameless." If Paul had wanted to, he's saying here, I, I have every reason to boast in the flesh. <laughs> yeah, I've accomplished so many things. I've, I, I've checked off so many uh, boxes on my bucket list <laughs> that I've already accomplished and, and achieved so many things in life. I, of all people, have reason to boast in the flesh. But then verse 7, 
Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is uh, through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. There is a mouthful in those few verses. But here's the overall point I want us to get this morning. That Paul wasn't the same man he used to be. And it's all because of what Christ had done in his life and what Christ was doing. His one goal, as we just talked about a few minutes ago, his master was Jesus Christ. Now, it wasn't himself. It wasn't the Jewish council. It wasn't any rabbinical teacher of the day. It wasn't any amount of education that he could attain to. His master was Christ. And so his mission now was to know Christ, to know Christ fully, completely, wholly, so that he one day could attain to the resurrection of the dead. All of those things that we once considered to be so important in our life that we devoted so much resource, so many resources to pursuing, we need to count them as worthless so that we, like the Apostle Paul, may truly know Christ. While you and I may not look differently on the outside, maybe some of us have changed as the years have gone on on the outside, but as a Christian, you and I ought to look differently on the inside because we have a new master, we have a new mission, and that means that we are new people, a new creation in Christ Jesus. As our brother Don prayed this morning, I'm excited for our two new sisters in the Lord. But for all of us who are Christians, we need to remember that every day that we wake up, we have new life in Christ. That there is something refreshing. There is something enjoyable about the newness of each day. That we have a new opportunity to show once again, to recommit and rededicate ourselves to making Jesus Lord of our life, to sanctifying Him and Him only in our hearts as Lord, and to living out the mission that He has given us so that we can be a new creation in Christ. Very simply put, new life in Christ means that all things, not just some things, not just many things, but all things are new. As we close our lesson this morning, as we're about to sing our song of encouragement, trust and obey, are all things new for you? You can have newness this morning, spiritually speaking, if you will come before this assembly confessing your faith that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, repenting of your sins. You can be buried with Him this very hour. And you can come out of the waters of baptism just like that Ethiopian eunuch so long ago, rejoicing, knowing that all things are new. If as a child of God, serving Christ has become something that's just routine for you, something that has even become a drudgery, a a burden to you, and you wish that you could get out of that, you need to change your perspective. Because in Christ, every day, all things are new. 
It may be that you as a child of God need the prayers and the encouragement, the help of your brethren here to continue or to get back on the path of walking in newness of life. However, we can be of help to you this morning. If you need to respond to the Lord's gracious invitation, we encourage you to do that as we stand and as we sing.